so I'll, I'll do a little bit of a recap so that we are all on the same page. I'm sure for those who've done teaching methodology, you have been taught that the focus of every lesson is the learner, right? So I want to do a bit of a recap. Now, last week, I began a series entitled The Word of His Grace. And our main text is Acts chapter number 20, verse 32. Without putting it on the screens. Acts 20, verse 32. Without looking at your Bibles. Unless you're coming for the first time. One, two, three, go. Now, for those who are just joining us, we are in our year of exponential growth. Okay? Now, exponential growth means growth that is rapid, growth that is irregular. It doesn't follow a regular linear pattern. It's, it's exponential. And we are also taking quantum leaps this year. <laughs> okay. So now, this is our main text. And this is our first series. You've done well to come. Um, I was going to say you've not missed much, but mm, last week's sermon was fire. But nevertheless, uh, there are platforms to catch up. So now, our main text is this one. It says, now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. To commend means to refer. To commend means to... Um, you're giving reference. You are saying, you are, you are, you are saying this is the best option for you. And now, I believe that the reason you've come to church today is because you are interested in being built up. I believe you've come to church today, unless you came for a girl, because you are interested. I know, people come for different reasons. I've been sat down in the office. Pastor, I'll be honest with you. The reason I came today was not for the preaching. It was like a young lady. But when you preached, it touched my heart. I said, hey. <laughs> I didn't know how to answer. <laughs> so, whatever reason you've come for, as of this moment, you've now come to be built up. And um, I'm sure everyone here would like to be named among those who've received of the Lord. Everyone here would like to be named among those who God touched, among those who God preserved. That's, that, that's the inheritance of the saints. And what the Apostle Paul is telling us is, look, gentlemen and ladies, that listen to me. I'm referring you to God and to the word of his grace. So what's our duty? We must submit to God and to the word of his grace. And when we do so, there is an automatic effect Number one will be built up. You will not remain a baby anymore. You will not remain weak. You will be built up. You will become strong. And then number two, you will have your inheritance among those that are sanctified. I remember I was speaking last year and I was saying that I've noticed a trend of late. Many believers prefer to relate with There is a side people prefer to relate with because it's more comfortable and appealing to their situation. But then there's a side they don't enjoy relating with because it challenges them. 
Can I give you an example? If there is any scripture about being weak, it's their word. Any scripture about being broken, that's their message. Even the chapter David quoted when he was repenting because he sinned, for them that's their life. Now, that's okay, but not every day. What happened to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? What am I trying to say? We must come to a place where we start relating also with the mightier things of the word of God. When we open the scriptures and say, in that place there was a sinner. All right, that's my word. But when we open, there was a righteous man. Come on, you need to start identifying yourself with the things God has freely given you. If we open the scripture where it says, I have said you are God's. Oh, you know that's what the Bible says about you, eh? Tell your neighbor, it's you it's talking about. When you open the scriptures where it says that the Spirit of God has given gifts to all men for the profit of all. It says the manifestation has been given to all for the profit of all. You know what that means? It means that there are some people right now who might be suffering because you are sitting on your gift. So now, if we want to be built up, if we want to access our inheritance among the saints, we must identify the word of his grace. And so last week, we identified that the first thing that came after man fell was the law. And because man had sin inside of him, his automatic reaction was to keep sinning. And so man could not become righteous by the law. And we compared it to the book of Esther where when the first letter was written, everyone was down and everyone was downplayed. But when the second letter was written, it empowered them. So what we are trying to say is that the word of his grace is the second letter. And today we are making more progress. I want to show you today from the Old Testament how God was giving a picture about the word of his grace. Okay, so we are together so far. Eh? So God meets the Israelites and he gives them the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. And he gives them several other laws. There are laws for everything. There are laws for if a person is sick. There are laws for if a person is... Um, has sinned. There were various laws. If a person touches somebody who's unclean, there were laws for so many things. Okay? And there were penalties based on what a person has done. But in those days, God was still showing his grace. He was still giving a picture because God is poetic. So he would give a picture that's saying, look, I already know this law won't work. I know that because man has been born of sin, it won't work. But let me show you a picture of what I'll do about it. So that's how we are going today. By the time I'm done with you, you'll be Bible scholars. If you, <laughs> if you came to this ministry and you only know one scripture, 
You have come to the right place. By the time this sermon is done. Okay, let's go. God already knew that man was not going to be able to keep the law. God knew man was not going to keep the law. So what he did is, within the law, he provided what is known as atonement. Today's sermon, which is part two of the word of his grace, is entitled Atonement. Somebody say atonement. You can say it with more strength. Come on, say it like the Kariba is full. Okay, praise God. So God introduced what is called atonement. Now one may ask, what is atonement? You know, I almost started pointing. Then I realized I'm not in a class. <laughs> one may ask, what is atonement? Now these are words that you, that you will see a lot in the Bible. And if we don't teach them to you, you'll be bored as you're studying the Bible. Especially when you're reading books like Hebrews and all that. So what is atonement? In simple terms, the following is what atonement is. Atonement is the act of making up for what you have done wrong. I'll say it again. Atonement is an action that a person takes to make up for something that they've done wrong. And in society, you can see a lot of different acts of atonement. Can I give you an example of atonement? An apology. If a person gives an apology, they're trying to make up for something that they've done wrong, right? I'm sure you were taught in RE grade 9. I've just forgotten the five laws. What was the fifth one? Penance? <laughs> well, you have to do something to show. And you know, there was a time in the body of Christ when penance was really real. How many of you have heard of a man named Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King. How many of you have heard of a man called Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. Okay, how many of you have heard of the Lutheran Church? When you are, it, I think there's one in Avondale. Eh? When you are younger, how many of you used to watch TBN, the cartoons that they would bring? How many of you remember a cartoon called Davy and Goliath? Goliath was a dog. Davy was a little boy. Praise the Lord. What do you remember? How many remember Votron? Bob Moraine? Teletubbies? <laughs> Wait, there are different age groups. Eh? So, as the age groups, what, what, what do you want me to mention? Kim Possible, Fairly Old Parents, Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> you see, back in the day when DSTV was rare, it was a rare commodity. You only had that one relative who had it. And when you go there, you'll find a line of cousins and uncles who've also come to watch. 
So back in those days, and then if you're lucky, you can get an area and put it on the roof. And then at 14 hours, specifically, I don't know how, but 14 hours, you'll be able to catch Mnet. Nevertheless, <laughs> so before all those things, uh, we used to rely on a lot of Christian television. So we'd watch shows like Kobe's Clubhouse. You remember it? I've forgotten the rest. <laughs> and there's a show called Davy and Goliath. It's by the Lutheran Church. Now, I was telling you about a man named Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther is one of the fathers of what we call Protestantism. And I'll tell you how he discovered God. I was reading his story. The man used to fast, I don't know how many hours per week. He would spend almost all his time in fasting and in meditation and in prayer. And when I was reading, I began to feel very unprayerful. Have you ever read about somebody and you feel unprayerful? I was feeling like, eh, <laughs> and then I read the next statement he made, and it shocked me. You know what he said? He said, little did I know that I was in the biggest prison ever. You know why? He was doing all those things because he felt like he was such a bad person who was unworthy to be before God, so he was trying to make up for his sin. Until one day he read the Bible for himself. And then discovered the word of his grace. And then said, wait, 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 wait. We don't have to pay for our own sins. And so he wrote a thesis. He stuck it on the door for discussion. That's how he was fired as a priest. And that was how Protestantism, that's one of the ways Protestantism started. A little bit of history. Eh? So atonement is when you find a way to make up for something that you've done wrong. You never do anything wrong? <laughs> I'm told in Africa, I, I, I heard something funny. I, I, I don't know if it's true, but apparently in Africa, uh, parents have got different ways of atoning. They'll call and say, Sorry, boy. <laughs> <laughs> they just know they're trying to say, <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> Okay, praise the Lord. So, God introduced atonement. It was a way of making up for a wrong. Somebody say atonement. And so I want to show you a few things. Give me Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. And I want you to give me verse... Now, how many of you know that by chapter 20... Ten commandments and the like are being given. So this is a period of commandments. So God is giving commandments he knows you can't keep. Praise God. <laughs> He's giving commandments he knows you can't keep. And so he begins to share saying, okay, let's, let's make a way. Uh, Exodus 30. Uh -huh, let's see. It says, you shall make uh, an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. Have you noticed that somehow the altar had to be on wood? Okay. But I want us to go further to verse 9. Okay, so it's telling us you shall not offer strange incense on it, or burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour out a drink offering on it. There were specific offerings for different things. Verse 10. Look at this. And Aaron, Aaron was the high priest 
shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. What is he trying to say? God was expecting them to sin every year. When they were not sinning, they were just out of season. He expected them to sin every year. And so he gives them commandments and then afterwards tells them, this is how you're going to make atonement. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine like <laughs> you're being given an exam and then afterwards they've been told, here's the makeup paper. <laughs> I've already prepared the makeup paper for after you fail that exam. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. So, He's been told that this is how you're going to make atonement. And the high priest was supposed to enter once a year because it was placed in a holy place, in the most holy place. And if you've studied on the tabernacle, you realize that they would tie, they would tie a bell around the leg of the high priest so that if he's in there and he does something wrongly, just in case he gets knocked out, they'll just pull him out. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Now let's show you further scriptures on atonement. Leviticus chapter 4. Somebody say atonement. I think Leviticus chapter 4 describes it a bit better because it shows you certain procedures that they would use. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, uh-huh. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, uh -huh. if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Are you following me? Praise the Lord. Are you following? Okay, let's go. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. I want you to see that. Lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Uh-huh. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. So maybe let me take a moment to explain. Because I want, us, I want, I want you to understand something. For those who don't know, the Old Testament is full of shadows and types. But you will see shortly how we can use that. So I want to give you an example. Um, who wants to come and be the boo? One of the gentlemen. So here is Frederick. Frederick has sinned. Now this is not even the one for once a year because once a year there is another one. This was for other sins. If you keep le reading Leviticus chapter 4, there were different... <laughs> You'll find sin offering, this offering, if you did this, if you did that, if you did that. But here's an example. So here's Frederick. Frederick has sinned. What he'll do is that he'll come with a boo. So if you just notice that day when you're going to pray, there's like a guy coming with like a boo. <laughs> you even say, oh you, oh you. <laughs> now what's funny is if people are going like, as a married couple, and one of the couple is carrying a kaboo. 
You didn't tell me. It's between me and the Lord. <laughs> and so the person will carry a bull. And according to the scriptures, give me back the scripture. It says, the, the scripture before. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle meeting of the Lord. Lay his hand. Now, if you know the doctrine of laying of hands, by the way, you will not go just anywhere and lay hands. Let me tell you what it meant to lay hands. So, lay his hand on the bull. So the bull come in partition and say, Take it! <laughs> what was he taking? The person's sin. Why was it a bull without blemish? So what's happening is, when the guy lays hands on the bull, his sin goes on the bull, and then the bull's innocence comes on him. And then, the wages of sin is death. So you kill the bull. And then its blood is offered as a sacrifice. Praise the Lord. And that would atone, that would cover up. It would cover up for your sin before the Lord, but it couldn't cure you. You can take a seat. I want to tell you an interesting story. There was something that happened once. It was a very strange experience. I went to preach at one of the universities. And as I was preaching, there was someone who was not paying attention. Just in case you didn't know, when you're preaching, if I'm preaching and you're not paying attention, I can see. Praise the Lord. As in the person was off. You know why you're preaching? They're looking the other side. I say, everyone shout glory. Oh, glory. <laughs> and I was preaching powerfully. And I remember having a prophetic word for the person next to them. I even came and stood there. As in they were just... That person didn't come for me. <laughs> I think they came to support. <laughs> you know that people come to church to support, eh? Okay. And so there was a period in the service. I did something strange. I said, lift your hands. I pray in Jesus' name, may you see visions. Okay? And after service, I just approached the person. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let's have a talk. And I asked, saying... So, how was the service? Eh. But anyways, you know, and the person tells me, you know, I saw something strange. When you said, um, when you talked about seeing visions, for some reason, I kept seeing myself with my baby, and it was the end of the world. So I said, I, I, I became an opportunist. I said, you know, usually when... <laughs> Jesus would talk about the end of the world. He was talking about repenting. Are you trying to say my baby will die in my hands? I'm not joking. This is what happened. I said, hey. I asked. I, I tried to change the topic. So I asked, are you born again? Are you trying to say I'm a sinner? Do I look like some sinner to you? Anyway. <laughs> quickly change the topic. And the person says, but I'll be honest with you, I'm very, I'm very sinful. I do a lot of sinful things. No, it was just very blunt. Like, like I'm very, very, very sinful. And so I asked a question. I said, you know, in the Old Testament, 
If a person has sinned, you know, during the year, they would just have to bring a lamb and it could atone for their sin at the end of the year. So I asked, how old are you? 23. So you see, all you'd have to do right now. And, and you know, like, so you tell me, all I have to do is bring 23 lambs and I'm fine. I said, I've got a better solution. I know the certain lamb. <laughs> by the end of the, the session, by the way, the person got born again and said, speaking in tongues. <laughs> I said, I've got a better solution. And you're going to see it. So is, is somebody following so far and seeing how all the way from the Old Testament, there was a word of his grace being spoken. And the word of his grace being spoken there was, look, instead of you dying for your sin, let's, let's sacrifice something for your sin. But now I want us to see how this matches with the New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 10. Is somebody enjoying this? Those who are not saying yes, Pastor. Is somebody enjoying this? Praise God. Who is David from Eden? David from Eden. There you are. Okay, now I just wanted to see him. He sent me a message. He was telling me he loves me so much. <laughs> and that for him, missing one of my sermons is like missing the lectures of the semester. So he can't miss anything I'm preaching. So even when I, I saw it raining, I knew at least David would be here. <laughs> Should come greet me in my office. I was blessed by that message. And then I read it five days later. So now, um, <laughs> if not seven. So Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> is somebody following? So now when we say the law grace, do you have a bit of an understanding? You know what the law is, right? It's the commandments we were supposed to fulfill for us to be righteous. But God knew would fail, so he, even in the law, he said, at least bring a lamb. So the way, would, the way we've got church service like this, you would find the service would be a bit different because um, as your pastor, I would have to be very skilled in killing animals. Some people here are afraid of killing chickens. You would have to be killing a bull. Praise the Lord. Okay. There are some people who began to teach that instead, if you know you've sinned a lot, bring a lot of money. And the more money you give to the church, the less your sins reduce. It's a lie. Let's just read. So, do you have the picture of bulls and animals? So, right now, I want us just to imagine church service a bit differently. So, we've entered each place. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, our buses would have to hire bigger ones. There is nothing like it, like God would deal with you. Whether it's raining, it's not raining. <laughs> Let's read. So it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Some of you who've never learned about shadows and types, 
what that is showing us is that the law was showing us shadows and types. It was, it, it was not the fullness. And that's why even within the law, you could see God was talking about Jesus. God was talking about perfection. He was saying, I need somebody perfect to fulfill this. And says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Somehow the person will go back and do the very same thing, probably even the very same day. Because they couldn't be made perfect by making those sacrifices. Uh-huh. Let's, here we'll keep going. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. If you are still here and every day asking God for forgiveness for what happened five years ago, you are suffering from sin consciousness. And it doesn't help anyone. Sin consciousness can never make you holy. Neither can it make you live right. No, honestly. Are you, if you look around, are you seeing how elegantly people are dressed? It's not the way they dress when they are sweeping. You should meet them. Zero four, when they wake up. They don't dress like this. They've got, when people are sweeping or they are gardening, it's not even clothes they wear. Sometimes it's rags. I don't know if you agree. Like there's that outfit which is kept in a certain section. And somehow, when you put it on, you're comfortable in dirt. But there are certain outfits which when you put on. And then somebody comes and says, Why da? Dressed like this. Praise the Lord. But sin consciousness, let me tell you what it does to you. We'll talk about it one day. As long as you believe you are dirty, you will do dirty things. You will do dirty things when you believe you are dirty. There is something about consciousness. I'm telling you, consciousness can change a lot. I never learned how to use a knife and fork for a long time because I never saw it necessary. I didn't understand why I should trouble myself. Do you know how good food tasted from my hand? Then I said being invited for events. No guest of honor. Ha! I remember one, one wedding, I was guest of honor, and I think I was next to one of the minister, I think minister of transport. And, you know, just such a high-class table, and we're all quiet. And then it was time to eat, and you know, when you're, when you're guest of honor, they bring you your food. And when they brought me a wing, knife and fork with a wing, <laughs> That day I pretended I don't really like chicken. I was just concentrating on cutting things which were easier. Potatoes. <laughs> or jiraco caletas. And everyone was probably thinking, ah, this man. This man is, he loves vegetables. No, I just didn't know how to use a knife and fork. But you see, if I was not conscious of being a guest of honor, if I was just that guy who came to the wedding to eat, you think I would have cared. I would have been at the back somewhere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, there is something that 
if you, are, if, if you live a life of sin consciousness, compared to righteousness consciousness, you have a problem. But let's keep going on. It's what is called Christ consciousness. Now it says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Next verse. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So they were a shadow. They were signifying something greater that was to come. It was just easing up for now. It's like you're waiting for the original parts for your car. So you put something which is for now. Or like what you do with your chargers when they're not really working and you have to put them at an angle. You can't expect that to work for the next five years. It is for now. I've never charged the phone at an angle. <laughs> People become engineers. They even put like a toothpick and then... <laughs> and, you say you don't know, and you say Zambians are not good at engineering. <laughs> See a Zambian when he wants to reply to a text. So it says, <laughs> go back to the previous verse. I can crack myself up sometimes. <laughs> For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, who is he talking about? Jesus. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. What was he desiring all this time? But a body. You have prepared for me. Uh-huh. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. To do your will, O God. So, all those things, the booze, the what, the what, what were they pointing to? Jesus. And he said, I'm here. I've come. I've come to take away this stuff once and for all. Next verse. Previously saying sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. No, had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Uh -huh. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So what does he do? He fulfills the first for you. And remember, you die to it. You'll see as we go on. And he takes away the first that he may establish what? The second. And what's the second? The word of his grace. You can clap for the Lord. And the next verse is wonderful. What does it say? But that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. Wait, I think you didn't get it. Maybe you don't know the meaning of the word sanctified. You know what the blood was there for? It was there to sanctify. Maybe you didn't get, maybe you don't know the meaning of the word sanctify. It means to make holy. Because look, here you are. You are sinful. You lay hands on a bull. You get its innocence. You give it your sin. But somehow... That innocence could not satisfy. It was just atoning for a while. But then Jesus comes to be the ultimate atonement. He comes to be the ultimate sacrifice. And then it says about us that we have been sanctified. Meaning we've been made holy. And the Bible says for this cause he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And why, how have we been sanctified? Is it by a bull? Come on, is it by a lamb? Is it by our good works? 
Is it by obeying everything that we're ever told? It's by the body of Jesus. It's like, how can I put it? The day you say, Lord Jesus, what you're doing is you're coming to the tabernacle and you're asked, what is your sacrifice? And Jesus says, I am your sacrifice. Praise the Lord. He says, I am his sacrifice. And he gave us his righteousness and became our sin. That boot literally becomes sin. And what's the wages of sin? Death. So he was killed. He had to die. But praise God, he rose again. We'll deal with the raising again part because that, that's also very significant. It's, it's, it's different. It's, 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 it's very significant. Because that's when we became a new creation. At the cross, we died with him. But when he resurrected, we became a new creation. Praise God. I'm taking my time. I can continue to take my time. Eh? Let's, hey, you know, let's finish reading that one first. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Uh -huh. But this man, after, uh-huh, say it again. I said, but this man, come on. Whoever that is, God bless you. <laughs> but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God and said, I don't need to offer another one. It's done. Verse 13. From that time, wait until his enemies are made his footstool. Like he's done. He's done his job. He said it is finished. <laughs> he says, okay, I'm going to sit now. Let's watch. Ha! Uh -huh. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You've heard me talking. And you've heard what I have been saying. There are many people who want to identify with brokenness. But what's the word of his grace about you which can build you up from that broken state and give you an inheritance among the perfect? The word of his grace is that by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hey, let's go on. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he said before, final verse, this is the covenant. He made the first obsolete so we can have the second. And what's the covenant? Aha. Uh -huh. This is the covenant I will make after them, with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts. So I'm not going to leave them just like that. There's something I'll do with their hearts. There's a change I'll bring in their hearts. Because previously when they would make sacrifices, they wouldn't change. They would atone for their sin, but they wouldn't change. But there was a new covenant that promised change. You may be listening to me. I'm telling you, I found a solution. We have a solution. You don't have to live a life of sin. We have a solution. And it says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put their, my laws into their hearts and in their minds. And I will write them. Uh-huh. And then he adds, hey, this is what he added. One, two, three, read. Someone came to me some other time and told me, Pastor, I was so reckless. There are certain things I did, and because of that, I lost my 
fallopian tube. See, let's pray for you. You know why? There's no record of those things. The record about them is what Jesus did. I'm telling you, now someone will say, Pastor, <laughs> these things they are teaching us. What do they do to us? It will make you worship Jesus. The same way a lamb was brought every day, now you bring yourself to worship. Don't you think so? You now bring yourself to worship. Guy, he's already done this, the offering. He's done the sin offering. So what do you do? You offer yourself to him. Because what, what can you do? What more can you do? After hearing this, if you're going... If you're ever going to treat it the same when we sing, we bring to you the sacrifice of praise. Can you imagine? That's our new sacrifice. Instead of each person coming with a boo, all he's asking is that each person come in with a praise. Each person come in with a shout. Each one come in with a dance. Hey! I, listen, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I would rather come with a praise every day than with a boo every day. Praise God. Already you have to stock up cows and the like full of water and such things. And then every day you should be bringing a cow for your seed. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine? That's all he's asking of you. Is that too hard for you to come every day with a praise? For you to come every day with a song? For you to come every day with a shout? For you to come every day with a dance? How can a person not dance for their Lord after such a thing? We are not even done. Let's look at another example of God showing. You know, I've not even yet defined the word of his grace. I'm just showing you pictures of it from the Old Testament. Numbers 21. Yay. I worship you with all my heart. Verse 5. With all my heart. Aha. Numbers 21 from verse 5. Now, these guys were very stubborn. They were gifted in stubbornness. Moses did have patience. He had long suffering. There's a difference. KJV and New King James. Okay. <laughs> so now, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. The same miracle bread God was giving them from heaven. They were irritated. They called that bread worthless. You know, it's interesting because we know, go back. We know that scripturally, Jesus is the bread of life. And a thought just came. How do we treat the word of God? What if he gives you the same word today which he gave you yesterday? Does it become worthless? It wasn't even their tongue. It was their soul. Hey. These were levels. And this is the trouble that we have with a number of people. God has delivered them from Egypt. They've even seen the Egyptian soldiers die in the water. 
but they still have to my little Egyptians in their head telling them what to do. It's a trouble we have. There are many people who have been delivered from sin, but we just need to get that worldliness out of you. That's why it says, be transformed by the reading of your mind. Still too much soldiers in your head who tell you what to do. No. Back in the day when you needed money, all you needed to do was go to the club. Now here that you keep telling you, keep believing. We keep believing, feed me. Too much little Egyptians in your head. Get rid of that. Praise the Lord. Uh-huh. Next verse. So the Lord sent fairy serpents among the people, and they beat the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And just to go back, you know, sometimes I hear people saying, you know, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are very different, same person, same God, same attributes. One may wonder, this level of wrath, you must understand when you read 1 Corinthians 10, I think you understand spiritual symbolism. Maybe just to get, give you a clear picture. You must understand, because God was telling a story of Jesus, what these people were doing was bigger than what they thought. How many of you remember what Moses did for him not to be accepted? Do you remember that the first time he was told to strike the rock, right? The second time he was told to speak to the rock, right? 1 Corinthians 10. Let's just see something from verse 1. Why was God so angry that Moses couldn't enter the promised land? Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, uh -huh, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That shows you that uh, the sea and the cloud were symbolic of baptism. Uh -huh. All ate the same spiritual food. That shows you that the manna was symbolic of spiritual food, and then they called it worthless. So to God, you're saying, what? I'm giving you spiritual food, and you're calling it worthless. They called it worthless. They called it worthless. We have a three-hour service, and you claim we take too long. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. That water was the drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock. That rock was spiritual. The rock Moses hit, it was spiritual. They drank the spiritual rock that followed them. And what does the Bible say? That rock was Christ. What does that show us? When Moses hit the rock the first time, he was showing that Christ would have to be crucified for the waters of the Spirit to flow. The second time he was told to speak, he hits it again. That's crucifying Jesus twice. Haven't we been told about people who are insulting the grace of God? There will be a day we'll talk about that. What does it mean when someone is insulting the grace of God? And the Bible says the punishment for that one is worse than the law because there is no sacrifice left for you. Jesus only dies once. We've become quiet. Back to the scripture. 
Haven't you heard people say things like, the Bible says don't do this. Ah, oh, Even if the Bible says it, what's that? that's treating the word of God as worthless. That's treating the word of God as worthless. That's treating the word of God as worthless. But even for that, there's a sacrifice. Can you imagine? Even for that. That's why God sent fiery serpents. But now let's look. And what is a serpent? Isn't the serpent the animal that was cursed? So God sent curses. I don't want to sound too controversial, but some things you see in the world are curses. There are certain things that you see in the world, check the countries. You know, I always hear people making this argument. Hey, in Africa, you pray a lot, but other countries they're doing well. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure Africa's bushfires? Are you sure there's nothing at all that our prayers are doing? Ah, no, don't insult our prayers, eh? Listen, if you want to talk about people working hard, talk about it because it's scriptural. But don't insult our prayer lives. Our prayer lives are preserving us. There's a reason why certain things, how come certain things break out in countries which have got the highest technology? That's what do we have. We have got spiritual technology. I'm just saying, don't insult our prayers. Don't insult our prayers. Do you know some of the worst medical cases are found in the Western world? Do you know that? Some of the ha huh? some of the worst cases from nowhere. As in people have improved their technology. This chick cancer just comes and says, at Bwanji. The moment you think you're done with it, another one shows up. Don't insult our prayer lives. Yes, we pray here in Africa. For those watching, Tima Pempela. Praise God. We pray. We don't have the technology to, yet to fight certain things. That's why we pray. For us, prayer is not an option. <laughs> How many of you know that? It's not an option. It's not. And it says the Lord sent fiery serpents. These are curses among the people. And they beat the people. Come on. And they beat the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Next verse. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Here is how God answered. Uh -huh. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be. That everyone who is beaten, when he looks at it, shall live. I don't know if you are seeing the picture yet. Has someone started catching it yet? Has someone started catching it yet? Because remember, shadows and types. You can come to it. You'll be the bronze poor. Interesting enough, it wasn't a golden one. It was bronze. And he tells him, saying, look, these people have been beaten by a snake. So what we're going to do is this. We are going to, you make a, a statue of a snake. I mean, a statue of a snake. Why, why, why would God do that? A statue of a snake. A statue of a snake. And it wasn't golden, it was bronze. And it says, if any person looks at it, they will live. 
Why? Let's read. Do I still need him here for illustration purposes or you will be imagining a statue? You'll be imagining the statue, eh? Okay, can take a seat. So there's a statue here. But on second thoughts. And so the snakes are still there. People are being beaten. We need to make movies and plays and the like about such things. Eh? It will really give a picture of Christ. And then, I want you to see something. What is a snake? A snake is the cursed animal. A snake is the cursed animal. So why would God say a snake? John 3 verse 14. Jesus quoted this. When he was teaching on being born again. What does he say? One, two, three, read. Come on with confidence. One, two, three, read. Amazing, eh? Next verse. That's when the famous scripture comes. That's the context. <laughs> ah, with that one, you don't even have to read. Uh huh. Do you know that even the next scripture is powerful? Read it. So now, it says, just. As Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent was lifted up. The son of man must be lifted up. Now, let me just bring it to you. It's interesting that he talks about the son of man. And in his being lifted up, that was not a blessing. That was him becoming a curse. Jesus became a curse. Is this scripture? Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 13. Remember, snakes were sent through. And snakes are what? That, that's symbolic of curses. That's symbolic of curses. So snakes were sent through. Oh, by the way, you saw that scripture I quoted, Leviticus 4, right? Remember it about sin offerings and the like? When you read it in your own time, you'll be, you, you'll be amazed to discover that. Guess how many times the priest had to shed the blood of the bull? Seven. If you've heard some of my sermons, that will amaze you. The blood had to be shed seven times. You've not caught it. How many times was Jesus' blood shed? Okay. Yes, sir. So it says, one, two, three, go. Christ... So Jesus became a curse. He became a curse. And then in becoming a curse, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. To redeem means to buy you out of it. I want you to understand something. The mercy God has given us did not come free. 
mercy on us meant judgment on Jesus. Someone had to pay the price. And so he redeemed us from the curse of the law. I received a call. Somebody was very concerned because they had a discussion. There were some people who were seated down chatting. And they were discussing how uh, if you've made a blood covenant with somebody, you're in a very difficult position because um, the fact that you've made a blood covenant with them means if you ever go and date or marry somebody else, then uh, everything will just go all wrong for you because, you know, those are curses. So I, I was a bit... I, I didn't know what, which blood covenant they were referring to because... Um, if we were to talk about covenants, that covenant they made with their fingers was probably not the strongest because sex is a covenant. That's why initially when somebody is losing their virginity, they bleed. It's a blood covenant. So like, wait, which covenant are you referring to? Do you mean this one or this one? Like, hey, even that one. Oh, my God. Like, ha, ah, what will I do? What will I do with my life now? I'm telling you. So... That means there are curses, that person. Uh, do, those, do, do certain things carry curses? Of course they do. Have you read the book of Proverbs? We read it in general. Have you seen the curses that come with immorality? There's a short life. What's, let's be honest. If we're to be very frank with ourselves, what's been globally the biggest, some of the biggest causes? It's not the biggest, but... One of the biggest causes of shortened lives in places like Africa and the like, hasn't it been pandemics which primarily most of them have been spread through sexual intercourse? That's okay. There are so many things. And, you, and, and, and then you find somebody passes this down. Isn't that passing down a curse? And so, you know, they called me, they were concerned. They're like, what, what do I do? And this was a born-again Christian. Repented. All those things passed away. Or they just needed to read the second letter. Because Christ redeemed them from the curse of the law. Were there things written against them based on what they did? Yes, there was. But what did Christ do? He redeemed them by becoming a curse himself. He became a curse himself. Maybe you're not convinced. Colossians 2. Um, in these weeks, one of the things I'm also going to show you is what kind of messenger you are. It says, give me verse 14. Verse 13. Let's start from verse 13. It says, you being dead in your trespass, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, not some, but all, not to a degree, but all trespasses. Uh -huh. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Give me another version. Maybe, give me the NLT. Let me see what it says. Having canceled the record of charges against us, So, did that attract a charge? Of course it did. Did them being loose before marriage attract a charge? Of course it did. It's biblical. 
But you see, when the snake bites the person, what they had to do is find where the snake had been lifted. And so Jesus said, just as the snake was lifted. So if you've read Galatians 3 verse 13, what are we being told? We're being told that he became a curse. So that's why it was a snake, because a snake is symbolic of a curse. It was showing the people that when you've done all these wrong things and the like, and because of that you've attracted all these curses, because, you know, cursed, any, the law got us cursed because we couldn't obey it. What you had to do is find the one who became a curse for you. And if you look at him, you will live. Praise God. You can take your seat. Now, how, how else can I qualify him becoming a curse? He didn't just become a curse. My friends, he became sin. Galatians 5 verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. Sorry about that. What does the Bible say? For God made... Give me the New King James. For he made him, who's that Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when he's telling them about the serpent and the serpent being lifted, it's a picture of Christ. So the word of the grace, the word of his grace there was look, you deserve all these curses. But if you can take a look at the one who's become a curse for you, if your focus can be on him, what will happen is there'll be a divine exchange. And what's that divine exchange called? Grace. That's the message that sets free. That's the message that delivers. Someone would say, but pastor, <laughs> why aren't you condemning John 3 verse 17, what does it say? For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world, we're all condemned already. But that the world through him might have been saved. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. It's able to build you up. It's able to sanctify you. It doesn't just... Listen, the difference is that this one doesn't just make you holy. It, it, so it doesn't just get your sins forgiven. It goes in the depths of you and can write God's laws on your hearts and in your minds. It's the word of his grace that does that. What have I been trying to show you today? I've been trying to show you today that Jesus Christ of Nazareth became our substitute. Remember the story I told you earlier about the person who was telling me all they needed was 23 lambs? There's a man called John who said something about that. And I want us to see John 1 verse 29. One, two, three, read from the King James. Wait, hold on, King James. He's the one. He's the reason I don't bring booze every day. He's the reason why a person can get saved whether they have money or no money. He's the reason why even someone who feels they've done the worst of the worst 
can have a chance to have the same righteousness God has. But he doesn't just end on forgiving you. He creates a whole new being. He puts his spirit in you. He creates a new spirit in you. He gives you a heart of flesh. And you're in a position where the only person now who can stop you is not the devil. It's you. How can I not worship him? How can I not give my life to him? How can I not live for him? I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Next week, I will now begin to define what grace is. And in case you thought we have started, I've just been introducing. 